0: Hello, hello, hello! I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL Podcast. How is everyone doing this fine Wednesday? I told you yesterday and the day before when we did Power Ranks that I was going to have a wonderful guest on today. That is Warren Sharp. And Warren has his own site. He'll tell you all about it. You absolutely should be following him on Twitter. You should be checking out his site. But what I think he's become most known for and what I'm most impressed with all of his great work is he is the Strength of Schedule Master. Warren, how's it going, man?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Um, tell
0: everyone about your site, what all they would find there, and then I want to get into your metho- methodology of how you come up with your Strength of Schedule information.
1: Yeah, so I have uh, two different sites. Uh, first one is sharpfootballstats.com. That's where a lot of the strength of schedule stuff that we're going to be talking about today resides. Uh, that's my free-to-use visualized data website. A lot of different statistics up there that you won't find anywhere else, including personnel groupings and things of that nature. So that's all up there. And then my in-season analysis site where I give out predictions on games and that sort of thing is up at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Awesome, awesome. And how long have you been doing this and – well, let's just,
0: yeah, tell us a little bit about your background first.
1: Yeah, so I've, I have uh, I graduated from high school, God, uh, years and years ago, went to, uh, got my civil engineering degree at a top 10 engineering school, got my professional engineering license. I've been working in the construction industry for several decades. Uh, and while I've been doing all that, I've got into the analytics and analysis of the NFL, it's kind of the sport that I grew up watching the most and the most passionate about it. I was big into sports growing up um, and started betting on sports, uh, started gambling back when I was in college uh, and sort of turned that into uh, something that I became really proficient at. Uh, nice. started working with some of the uh, big sports bettors out in Las Vegas. So I consult with them, provide them with information and uh, sort of then started my Sharp Football Analysis website And then got more and more into, as the play-by-play data was a little bit more accessible, got into that, uh, reviewing it, tracking it, analyzing it, and then started Shark Football Stats just a few years ago, about three years ago now, and uh, certainly love site like tremendously because I'm a huge fan of efficiency in the NFL. I hate inefficiency. I hate coaches that make poor decisions. And I would love to see the NFL continue to evolve and become smarter. And so I like sharing that information with people and some of my findings and discoveries. I,
0: I think you're in this court, and I didn't plan on going down this alley, but you kind of brought it up in terms of coaching inefficiency. Do you feel like the hiring process in the NFL is flawed. You know, it's a lot of people that, and it seems like some people are starting to think outside the box, the Shanahan's, the McVeigh's, these younger guys, certainly the Eagles. But it just seems like such an old boys club that, well, he's been doing this a long time. He was a good coordinator. Let's make him a head coach.
1: Right. And and I think the issue is, philosophically the NFL is changing it's not what it used to be even 10 years ago a lot of the rule changes for player safety have promoted the explosion of passing efficiency and so these guys that think like that we want to have ball control and keep our defense healthy on the bench and and rested and like just a lot of the philosophical things that a lot of the older coaches have are not really the most efficient ways to win in the modern NFL. So you have teams that are uh, very few of them, but there are teams that are scratching and clawing to find efficiency edges and matchup edges on a given week, um, and that's their philosophy. They're eager. They're aggressive. Uh, even defensive-minded head coaches like, for instance, Dan Quinn, uh, when he was in Atlanta, he had Kyle Shanahan as his OC. Same thing with Bill Belichick, defensive coordinator in New England, had Josh McDaniels as his OC. But these guys, Coaches, even though they're more defensive-minded, they're letting the offensive coordinators kind of run wild, do what they want to do, uh, kind of explode on the opposing defense as best possible. Um, And then you have these other coaches that are just more of the old-school mindset. I do think it relates to the hiring process. That's a great point you bring up. The problem is that's not really going to change because these owners aren't just like flipping their ownership as constantly as these coaches are moving in and out and these rules are changing. So you've got older owners that are getting only older that have to recognize and realize that there's a new philosophy and a new way to have efficiency and to win games in the modern NFL. They have to hire GMs who are willing to take that vision and run with it. And it's about building your roster, but it's also a lot about coaching as you mentioned. And all of those things have to line up in order for you to produce really great seasons like the eagles had last year for example yeah well said and
0: now you know the the biggest reason i brought you on is because we've been doing a lot more strength of schedule stuff it's that time of year where this is really starting to become prominent how do you come up with your strength of schedule uh, metrics
1: yeah and that's that's a great place to start because i do it differently than pretty much anybody else i kind of pioneered this method a few years ago Most everywhere that you're going to turn to when you hear about strength of schedule, first of all, these articles are going to come out in in January of 2017 You probably or 2018. You probably started reading them. And once that final Week 17 game ends, everybody knows exactly who they're going to play. They don't know when Mm -hmm. they're going to play them, but they know who. And you can develop a strength of schedule based on prior year win-loss record, and you can determine who's got the most difficult schedule. The problem with that is – it is absolutely meaningless. I've run regression analysis on it. Uh, you could do correlation. There is absolutely nothing that you can take from that, from 2017 win rates, that is going to help predict whether or not you're going to have a hard schedule this year. And if you are projected to have a hard schedule by those metrics, will you actually perform poorly or will you outperform? There, There's nothing you can glean from that. So the way that I started doing it, like I said, different than anybody else, I look at The Las Vegas win totals, the projected wins that Sportsbook's had in Las Vegas issue. And the reason why that's so important is, number one, they have teams of bookmakers out there that get together, pull their brain power, and try to figure out what they're going to line these games at. And I don't look at just one book. I look at several different books and kind of amalgamate the numbers in order to come up with kind of like the consensus line on each team. And the other thing that's so important about using the win totals from Las Vegas, even though we can, you know, I've had success beating these guys on a yearly basis, have success betting against them, they truly do have overall, if you're talking about top to bottom, overall good numbers, re- respectable numbers. But there is a market, and that market will fluctuate. As they take money in on teams, the win totals will move, the juice that they adjust uh, will move. And so all of these different things will allow me to continually refine my wind totals as the spring and summer progresses so that my strength of schedule numbers right now that we're going to talk about today, while there's probably not going to be a ton of variance, there's going to be slight variance based upon the betting market and how it dictates things. So we can always get the most recent accurate information for the upcoming season. And once I have those win totals and plug them into my model, it's basically just playing out the course of the season, and it ranks the teams who plays the most difficult opponents, who plays the easiest opponents, and that's how I project strength of schedule.
0: Yeah, and I think it's brilliant. I mean, to, to kind of – I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, I mean, it seems like the backbone of it is Vegas knows their shit.
1: <laughs> right. They, yeah. they, know, they certainly know it well – much better than for instance uh what the average person knows they know it extremely well uh they put a lot of work into it and the reason why is because they're taking money on their position they're not just some guy sitting there saying like well here's what i think and then he can go log off his computer and go play with his dog outside these guys then have to take money in and out on their bets and i mean i can tell you there's been a couple of win totals out there where we bet the, the unders, we thought their number was wrong. Of One example, I'll just give you the Buffalo Bills. Two of the books lined them at six and a half wins. And I'm talking about some of the more premier sports books out in Las Vegas who are willing to take bets on these games. Not all the books are the same. Not all of them have respectable bookmakers that will actually line their own games. A lot of them just want to copy off of everybody else. But I, I take the books that are willing to take bets, that do have independent line makers. and one of the guys – had a seven and a half on the bills win total so we bet under seven and a half and under seven uh, because we felt that that was a little bit too high and the rest of the market was down at six and a half so they moved their number down a little bit and so that's going to factor into the up you know the updated numbers but uh generally speaking yes these guys are willing to take bets on these games they're willing to take large amounts of money on these games and as a result they they better be doing their homework so that they make sure they're not losing their sports book and their owner a lot of money. Yeah. And as, as my listeners know,
0: something I do is one of my most popular shows of the year is I go through every line from Vegas with win loss totals and I pick over under, and I have to say 85% of them I think are dead on or, A lot of them, sometimes, if they're an even number, I might say, man, I think that is going to be an eight-win team, and eight is the line. But there's three or four that I tell my buddies every year are out of whack. You know, like I'm looking at Indianapolis right now at six and a half. Even if Luck is the best player in the league, I don't think they win seven games. You know, or Seattle at eight right now. That does not look like a nine-win team to me. I mean, there's always two or three that I look at, And say that doesn't quite line up. And I bet my success rate on those teams was
1: 90%. Well, it is. It's very important the way that you approach it, in that you're targeting specific teams that you think there are edges. You know, with the talk of sports betting being legalized and uh, a lot of things that are going to come up once they do legalize it in the various states are going to be prop bets. There's going to be prop bets and lots of different things that you can, you know, wager on. The key that I always tell anybody who's placing a wager, of um, course, like if you just want to do something for a few bucks here or there, just to have fun, just to have something on the game, then don't expect to make any money off of that. Just do it because you're enjoying it and it's like the cost of some alcohol or, you know, your cable channel. It's going to cost a little bit of money to have and you're not really going to get anything out of it. But but if you're actually going to place a little bit of money on things and you're hoping to make money on those, uh, you can. You need to pick your spots, like you just suggested doing. You're finding those few spots where you believe that there's value because there's absolutely no way that the line makers are going to be wrong on every team. And so you can, you know, I'll go over here, under here, over, and and, and I'll make money at the end of the day. You have to pick your spots and only bet when you think that there is value. That's very important for anybody uh, betting any nature of different types of sports bets.
0: Yeah. I think that's smart too, is I, I haven't done a lot of betting, but I always pick games for this and, you know, even week to week, that if I would single out three that are, or just the ones that stand out to me, my success rate would be far better than if I have to pick them all. I mean, just because they know what they're doing. Um, one more question about your process that I think people might not realize that not only do you give strength of schedule, you'll say this team has the twenty-second hardest schedule this year, but you also break it down into early season, late season. Um, you know, past the fences that they're facing. So tell us a little bit more about the
1: specifics of those. Yeah, so uh, definitely, you know, one of the things, the main things that I do with strength of schedule based on the Vegas wind projections is I can look at, like you said, I can look at the, any, any, slice of the season that you want to look at you can go on my website chartfootballstats.com and you can go under the offense menu and drop down to strength of schedule you can find the 2018 strength of schedule per vegas odds i have it up there it's free to use you can play around with the different weekly filters so one exercise that i'd like to do is you okay of the rookie quarterbacks who might get a start within the first six weeks of the season, who faces the easiest schedule, who faces the most difficult schedule of opposing teams during that period of time. And you definitely can look at, you know, starts and finishes uh, because a lot of teams schedules are very different, like the Giants, for example. Very difficult start, extremely easy end. If you've got Saquon Barkley or somebody like that on your roster, he's probably going to do much better in the second half. Don't get too discouraged. Drill it. But like you mentioned, one of the things that I do also is I look at unit by unit as well as like passing, deep passing, passing to the running backs, explosive passing. There's a lot of different um, elements that I like to look at for strength of schedule. And those – don't relate to the Vegas win totals. Those actually are based on efficiencies, efficiency numbers from the season. So I do a lot of that during the course of the season. So I like to look at, okay, well, you know, this team plays this opponent this week, but and this opponent ranks, you know, maybe it's like a bottom 10 in explosive pass defense allowed. And this other opponent, they don't look like they've been doing so well, like the offense going up against them. But they face like a brutal schedule of like three top 10 defenses in explosive pass defense allowed so they haven't done well but they might explode here on this next upcoming opponent and i track a lot of that up at sharp football stats as well um the off season it's a little tricky obviously because i've got like 30 different metrics that i'm tracking uh, things like uh, pass rush efficiency and running back pass efficiency just a lot of the explosive rushing efficiency and those are all gleaned from the the 2017 season and what i do is i start off during this offseason process of just bringing over what it was in 2017 into 2018. Uh, And I've run correlations as to what correlates best, like run defense year over year correlates a little bit better than does pass defense. Um, But ultimately, by the time I release my book previewing the 2018 season, which will be, I think, around late June, I will have projections for all of these teams in terms of like, okay, the Cleveland Browns, I think this is where they're going to rank uh, in run defense. I think this is where they're going to rank in pass defense, explosive pass defense, pass rush. Like I, I'll rank the teams based on their roster and their coaching and what I think they're going to do. And then I'll have better numbers on the site uh, around early July about projecting the 2018 season. The best thing about strength of schedule though that in terms of looking at these detailed statistics and, and not from the Vegas perspective but from this perspective is that Far too often people just want to look at strength of schedule in the off season, especially all the mainstream networks. They want to talk all talking to death about strength of schedule in the off season, but then when you get into the season, they're not really focused on it anymore. They're just talking it's, about random stats and, and, and that sort of thing. But the problem and it is It changes by the week. I
0: mean, that's it, you're
1: right. Exactly. It cha- it changes a ton and you could have poor rushing stats because you've been facing ridiculously tough defenses. The best run defenses in the league over the first month and you have bad rushing numbers. And but that doesn't mean you're not going to be able to explode in week five and have a really good rushing game. So it, it really is important to factor in. So like one of the biggest things I tell people is you got to go to the site during the season and factor in strength of schedule during the season because not enough people do it, but it's a massive edge if you're one of the few who decides to look at that.
0: Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I, I, as everyone knows that listens, I do a lot of work for Sealers Nation Radio, and last year – the beginning of their schedule was really tough. And everyone was talking about, man, Ben looks bad. And he wasn't playing well. But I I kept telling people, like, over the first five or six weeks, they're playing, like, the most difficult pass defenses in the league. It was Minnesota and Jacksonville. I mean, it was a a very difficult slate. I'm like, these guys will come around. And along those lines, you talked about the major networks, and this is kind of this to take a quick step back. It makes me crazy, especially since I've been exposed to what you do, When all these networks talk about, boy, they have a really easy schedule this upcoming year. But meanwhile, the Giants who didn't have Odell Beckham is on that schedule. Or Houston that didn't have J.J. Watt for the year and didn't have Watson half their year. Or Green Bay that didn't have Aaron Rodgers. I mean, like, these, they're not accurate assessments of what the team that they're going to play is.
1: Exactly. And that's why, you know, looking at prior uh, year strength of schedule is completely meaningless and why you know the guys in Vegas are actually doing that work to account for these people and it's also why i put in that work to account for the starting rosters that these teams are going to have you can't you can't account for injuries that are going to occur during the season because those are completely unpredictable but in terms of just the overall strengths of teams in terms of what we think their starting roster is going to be offensively and defensively and where those guys are going to rank across the board in these 30 different metrics. Absolutely. It's vital to account for that. And you're, you're dead on. I was looking it up while you were talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, they played three top five uh, pass defenses within the first uh, five weeks of the season. Yeah. And they had far and away the most difficult strength of schedule. Um, and you can find this information if you go to the 2017 strength of schedule. You'll see uh, you could click which weeks you want to look at. And sure enough, the Steelers, just the most ridiculous strength of schedule of any team. And they faced a much easier uh, stretch run uh, uh, over the season And that was what really propelled them to You know, doing well And, and finishing off with a good record And a lot of great passing stats from Ben
0: Alright, so now I want to talk a little bit about You know, who has it easy Who has it tough who Some trends you're, you're seeing and quote predicting But one thing I want to mention And this is a little bit of Steeler bias in me Because I will tell you that Steeler fans are very jealous of the Patriots, and we have to talk about the Patriots all the time. And it's often brought up to me: I mean, would the would the Patriots have this great run if they were in the AFC North this whole time and had to play against the the Ravens in the in the height of their powers the whole time? You know that, and, and I do think there's slight truth to that. I, I don't take it to that extreme that a lot of the black and gold homers do, but I th- and my point being, boy, the. Patriots division is really easy and it has been year after year and it's not their fault but it is again and I just did my power ranks the other day and I had the Jets at 31 Buffalo at 30 and Miami at 25 I mean that's the worst bottom group of a division there is and that's not uncommon over the last 10 years and the Patriots have a pretty good again this year
1: don't they? they do uh, overall they have the second easiest schedule in the league and you're absolutely right if you want to look at what the odds makers out in Las Vegas think about those three other teams in the AFC East they rank bottom 8 you know the bills the dolphins and the jets all rank bottom 8 the dolphins and the jets by their rankings those teams rank bottom 4 in terms of their overall strength and projected wins for this upcoming season so it's it's like you said they the patriots always are going to benefit from that division, it seems like that division more than any other in the league, they can't get their act together from their ownership perspective uh, in terms of what coaches they're going to hire, what GMs they're going to bring in, what type of philosophies they're going to instill. And so it's very difficult. First of all, drafting is—I don't want to say it's—it's it's, um, completely dart throwing, but there's a lot of variance with drafting. I mean, you can get a guy who's awesome at drafting wide receivers for your audience, like Kevin Colbert, tremendous at drafting wide receivers, but hasn't had nearly the level of success drafting DBs. I mean, and these are the guys like these two players, these two positions mirror one another, Uh, you know, they're covering one another. He's watching film. He can see both, both types of players similarly, but he's been much better at hitting wide receivers than has DBs. Mm -hmm. And, Ozzy Newsome, another great drafter historically, uh, struggles tremendously to draft wide receivers. So there's just a—it's very difficult to be consistently good at drafting. And these are some of the best drafters in the lead and league and talent evaluators. Imagine you know some of the guys that aren't so good, some of the GMs that haven't been there very long. It's—it's it's very difficult to produce consistent years. So the problem becomes when you bring in like. Mismatch of talent and, and mediocrity in terms of your draft on a consistent basis, like most NFL teams do. So a couple of players might work out, the majority won't. And then you're putting them into the system where your coaches aren't haven't been there very long, their philosophies aren't that great, you're surrounding them with other players of similar caliber. It's just not a recipe for success. And that seems to be what most of the AFC East has been dealing with for the better part of the last decade. So the Patriots are going to benefit from that. So it seems unfair but that a team that obviously won the AFC, went to the Super Bowl, uh, gets another year of a really easy schedule. But year in, year out, it's because they play six of their 16 games against the AFC East. Absolutely.
0: And I know this isn't where you were going with this, but I just did want to mention it because it kind of dawned on me too, that about the draft, well, the Patriots then take their draft picks and trade them for proven commodities, you know, Brandon Cooks and, um, you know, move back or they, or they throw a lot of seventh rounders at the fan and see what'll hit. I think that they realize that drafting is an inexact science.
1: They do, but I will say, um one of the things that I think that they decided to do this season, you know, they had those two first round draft picks via they acquired through some trades from two thousand fifteen to two thousand seventeen, so for three seasons, they only drafted one player in the top 59 draft picks, like the league averages was five and a half players. They only drafted one over that three year span. And, and for the, people who don't
0: remember, that's because they traded for Brandon cooks. They got yes. the first round taken away because of the flake gate. And Oh, by the way, they're really good. And
1: they pick at the end of the rounds. Exactly. And so they didn't have a lot of really stud young talent on their roster. Like they they were they, So they decided they were acquiring these players, like you just mentioned, in different ways. But what ended up happening was they become a little bit long in the tooth and a little bit thin. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to get like a, a healthy, younger starter to play a bunch of games, y- it's hard to find those guys when you're getting them in the fourth and fifth and sixth rounds of the draft. It's just much more of a dart throw. So I thought that they would hold on to their draft picks in the first round this year and try to reinvigorate their roster and bolster it with a little bit more youth and proven commodities because, I mean, it's it's just a numbers game. First-round draft picks end up paying off better long-term in terms of the number of games they start, the number of seasons they can play, than do guys that are drafted in the later rounds of the draft. So uh, I like that they did that this year, but you're absolutely right. I mean, they are... They understand value in draft picks. They understand trading down to acquire better value more than most any team in the league. And, I mean, it's just one of the many edges that they have because they incorporate analytical thought processes and doing math into their decision making.
0: Yeah, well said. And that was something I was often asked leading up to the draft was, boy, the Patriots have a lot of picks. Are they going to trade up for Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield or one of these guys? And I said over and over, no, I don't think so, because they they really have been neglecting bringing in premium talent. They, they need to bring in three or four first, second-round picks to, to replenish that cupboard a little bit before they get old in a hurry. Um, right. so, so they're second on the list of easiest schedules. Houston is first. And I mentioned them before. You know, they didn't have J.J. Watt. Merciless was out a big portion of the year. Uh, obviously, Watson So not only they get those guys back as well as, you know, Tyron Matthew and moves that every other team type of makes, but they got a pretty easy slate.
1: Yeah, they got a, they've got a really easy slate. Um, Obviously, you know, the sports books right now are projecting the Indianapolis Colts to really struggle. And right now the Colts are only favored in three games. And I know you said at the beginning of the podcast that you, you think it's going to be difficult for this team to, to win very many, but The way I look at the Colts is this is a team that played a more difficult schedule last year. They brought in Jacoby Brissett right before the start of the season. I mean, he had hardly any time with the team. They had a late trade with the New England Patriots. They were leading in nine of their 16 games entering the fourth quarter. Their offensive coordinator was horrendous. I wrote about this at length. He cost them a number of games by being so predictable. He would only pass the ball out of three wide receiver formations in the fourth quarter, which they were at their worst throwing the ball out of three wide receiver formations because they don't have depth at wide receiver. They were at their best when they utilized two tight ends to pass the football but when they had two tight ends on the field they would only run the football in the fourth quarter so it became very predictable over time i think that even if andrew luck's not there this is a team that could come close to their six wins even though the afc east sorry afc south is getting better it seems uh, yearly and of course the houston texans are going to be better now that they have watson there the entire year but regardless of whether or not we think that the colts are going to be a five win team or an eight win team in either case, they're not quite as good as they've been in years past when luck has been at his peak. Okay, well, I think we both can agree on that. And so they have that benefit. They also have the benefit of simply just playing an easy schedule. I mean, we could talk right now about the AFC versus the NFC in terms of strength of schedule. Right now, the NFC is just so stacked with good young quarterbacks and some savvy veteran guys who are still very good like the Aaron Rodgers like the Drew Brees that it's very difficult playing in the NFC and if you look at the easiest 7 schedules in the NFL team schedules in the NFL easiest ones based on strength of schedule this year those first 7 all reside in the AFC and if you look at the 12 most difficult schedules in the nfl for this upcoming year 10 of the 12 reside in the nfc it's just so i mean the easiest schedule for the nfc right now is green bay and they rank eighth overall in terms of ease of schedule so it's just so much easier being in the afc in general this year and you look at pretty much any division and they're not quite as good as what they've been in years past um with the AFC South being that exception, uh, we'll have to see what the Steelers do. But there have been what 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 the Bengals do. Sorry, there have been years where the Bengals, the Steelers, and the Ravens were all like you know going to the playoffs or, or winning like nine plus games. And the Bengals have fallen off a little bit. We'll see if they can they can rebound. Um, but overall, I think the NFC is just much more competitive with with better teams. So. The Texans getting the benefit of playing in the AFC, getting the benefit of winning, I think it was just four games last year, so they're playing a fourth-place schedule, mm-hmm. and they get to play the Colts a couple of times. It's just really a good setup uh, for their season this upcoming year. One of the things that we've noticed in the past when, when I've looked at the easiest schedule in the league, and I use my metrics, obviously, to calculate that, it goes a long way to predicting success for a particular running game. Last year, if you look at what uh, the the Jacksonville Jaguars were able to do with Leonard Fournette in his rookie deal, Leonard Fournette posted some great numbers. He finishes RB number 8 in fantasy. But if you look at what he actually did on a per-game basis in terms of his efficiencies, it was not good. 50% of his runs gained two or less yards. That ranked 25th out of 28 running backs. He was more Uh, of a volume
0: runner than a dynamic one.
1: Exactly. He got all of his production, his touchdowns, his his yardage totals based upon the fact that they had leads in games and they could run the ball a lot more in the fourth quarter. And part of that reason was they faced the easiest schedule in the league. So a lot of people think, oh, strength of schedule is not that important. And I'll let people think whatever they want to think, Matt. I'm not (laughs) going to debate them about it. It's their loss if they're not going to factor in strength of schedule. But right now, Houston is that team. We'll see if Lamar Miller can get the bulk of the carries this year to be as productive as Leonard Fournette was in prior years. I don't think they have quite as a defined running back picture in Houston as Jacksonville did last season. But right now... Miller is the man and uh we'll see how he ends up doing this year
0: and it certainly bodes well for Sony Michelle or you know I mean a couple of these other teams at the top of your list with easiest schedules and just real quick while you were saying that about the NFC versus AFC I pulled up my power ranks from yesterday and six of my top eight teams are in the NFC and one two three four my bottom four are all in the AFC you know I mean it's not only is it really heavy in the NFC, but they don't have any bad teams either. Like I have Seattle as my worst team in the NFC, and they have an eight-win uh, you know, over/under with them. You know, I, so and it, that it,
1: matches what that matches what they've got out in Las Vegas. I mean, if you look at the teams that are ten to one or lower to win the Super Bowl, meaning like they're highly favored, you're not mm-hmm. going to get as much of a return on your money. Teams that are ten to one to win the Super Bowl, five of those seven teams or seven of them that are listed there, five of the seven come from the NFC. Wow. So, um, and if you're looking at like just the top four teams, three of those four come from the NFC. So it, it definitely is, uh, you know, the power rankings and, and what they have out in Las Vegas mirror that as well. Uh, Warren, I want
0: to let you go here um, before I do. Is there any real interesting trend or stat or anomaly that you just want to throw out and, and that our listeners know. Something that stood out to you, or if not, no big deal. But I mean, I was just curious is there something that's like, wow, this is really interesting? I'm curious how this fit shakes out.
1: I think one of the more interesting stories of this year is going to be out in the Pacific Northwest with the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. Last year, I had them as the second easiest schedule, and they won a number of games last year. I mean, if you look back, they won more than probably a lot of people think that they won because they didn't have as great of a season but their team was obviously much more depleted I mean their offensive line still isn't good they lost a number of players on defense through injury last year and now you look at this team I mean Richard Sherman's gone their defense is not going to be quite as good which has been great for years offensively they instead of helping short their offensive line early they went and drafted Rashad Penny who. Uh, might be a very good running back, but they went up into the first round and got this guy and he lacks the reception ability. At least he did in college and well, as well, there's questions about his pass protection. So those two things are really important for a running back because that's what keeps you on the field, and that what that is a big efficiency edge is throwing the football to a running back. So um, that's an issue for them and what they drafted this year and their players that they lose. But they move from the second easiest schedule from last year, by my projections, down to the third most difficult this upcoming season. And you look at that division that they're in, obviously, the Rams are significantly better than what they were to start last season in terms of what we thought of them. And of course it's just it's just a very challenging schedule because now you got Jimmy Garoppolo in that division and he is very good and the 49ers obviously played really well with him. So um it's it's a it's a difficult division number 1 to play in, but number 2 their overall schedule. I mean we talked about it. The NFC, they are in the NFC. They're playing a very difficult schedule this upcoming year of non-division opponents. They're playing a lot of good conference opponents. It's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, I love Russell Wilson. I think he's carried that team a lot. Uh, It'll be really interesting to see how much he can carry them this upcoming year because of the schedule. Yeah,
0: that's one of the teams that jumps out to me as the under. I mean, right now the line I'm looking at is eight games. I can't see them being a 9-7 and team. I, I think they have a better chance of picking in the top six or seven in the draft than they do of having a winning record. And one last note, because you mentioned this too. That doesn't bode well for Seattle, even though they did, you know, draft Penny in the first round, as you mentioned, you know, that usually if you have an easier schedule like Jacksonville and Fournette, you run the ball. Well, Seattle still didn't even with the easiest schedule in the league last year.
1: Right. And now they're going to be against a very difficult schedule with questionable pass protection. And, you know, you, when you, when you're playing a difficult schedule, this is one of the things, one of the reasons why I think there's an actually a good chance that even though, uh, Sam, uh, even though that Sam Bradford is out there in Arizona, like Josh Rosen might be getting a start pretty early. Number one, Sam Bradford is not going to get a, as many reps with the ones during training camp because they're trying to rest his knee and keep him healthy. But they face a downright brutal three first weeks to the season in terms of opposing defenses, in particular opposing pass rushes. And the Arizona Cardinals' offensive line isn't very good. And they're going to because they're playing a difficult schedule, they're going to have to be throwing the ball a lot. And that's the same type of thing like a parallel with. The uh, Seattle Seahawks, they're going to have to be throwing the ball a little bit more because they're going to be in more difficult games where they may not be having a lead. Their defense is going to give up suddenly a bit more points on the scoreboard, sure. most likely. That's going to force this offense to do more than they've done in the past against a much more difficult schedule.
0: Yeah, and they, can't, they haven't proven that they can you know, eat the clock and play Dallas of 2016 and run the ball and hide the defense. That's not who they are. I think it's going to be a long year for Seattle.
1: Yeah, and I I'm projecting the same type of thing. It's going to be it's difficult to really say though with a team with Russell Wilson, hey, right. they they're going to they're not going to be able to win 7 games, but I do think that it's going to be difficult for them to hit the 9 win mark um in that division with this schedule. I think it's going to be an uphill battle for them. Absolutely. Uh Warren, please tell everybody where to find you
0: and all of you must check him out. I mean, obviously if you listen to this conversation, you can see how impressive his work is. Um, and it's been great to have you on. Please war and tell everyone what the where to find you again. Yeah, thanks
1: for having me, Matt. Definitely enjoyed talking with you every opportunity we get. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at sharpfootball. You can check out the free to use stats website where you're going to be able to find all the strength of schedule information. Sharpfootballstats.com. And during the season, if you want to see my projections on the games, you can head over to sharpfootballanalysis.com. That's awesome. That's- all of you must do that. So,
0: all right, over and out, everybody. Tomorrow will be Twitter Thursday. I'm not sure what we'll do Friday. Um, So there you have it. Start sending me your Twitter questions for tomorrow. We haven't had a Twitter Thursday in a while. Over and out.